Hi everyone, my name's Dr. Deanne Ross. I'm the love theorist and I'm joined here today with my friend and colleague Peter Hogg. I will introduce Peter a little bit more in a moment but just to say a quick hi for now Peter. Hello, good to have hi, you. Hi good to be here. <laughs> hey, I'm just going to do a little, little bit more intro and I didn't want you sitting there without people knowing who you were. So yeah, so this is a really special part of my podcast series where I get to have conversations with truly impressive human beings on the planet at this time, come in all shapes and sizes and and don't always have a big high public profile. But for me, the quiet love revolutionaries are the most important and Peter is a quiet love revolutionary and uh, he probably, you might even feel a bit embarrassed me saying that, you probably didn't know I was going to call you a love revolutionary, Peter. Well, <laughs> so um, yeah, like uh, people who consciously live with the idea of love and its related ethics to me are some of the most impressive people, well the most impressive people in the world. Um, and so this is part of a series called Revolutionary love stories and it's where I talk with people like Peter and ask Peter to tell us a little bit about how you Peter um, think about love if how it guides your practice some of the challenges yep. who's influencing you and your ideas about love you know like it's a bit of a unstructured conversation but uh, it's really wanting to hear your story yeah um, and and what I'm wanting to do with this is, first of all, to honour you and your story in its own right, but all, and alongside that, to keep really interrogating my own ideas and my own practice and because I'm overall looking to build a theory of revolutionary love. Yeah? And I think I've done as much thinking as I can on my own, but now I need to listen and learn from others like yourself. So I'm just going to be all ears today, but if I could just ask some questions questions or make some comments as we go along it just certainly yeah it'll be really helpful so so that's that's the broad intro now just to let you know why why it's peter sitting here with me today peter and i met uh, when you were an undergrad student and i don't know how many years ago but it's a little while back yeah, now isn't it back. yeah i'm not yeah. sure three or four years no. ago maybe even more because you've been graduated a couple of years would it be two years now you've been no, graduated a year and a half Oh, is it only a year and a half? Yeah, yeah, I'm still new. Yeah, and so like it's really interesting when people when I meet people in a classroom space because they're always part of a group of people, and you can go whole semesters and not actually talk directly with someone much. But one of the things that really impressed me about, or oh, there were several things that impressed me about you, Peter, as an undergrad student. One is one was the quality of your. Um, written work that you did for assessments, really thoughtful, really well-researched and very much into anti-oppressive ideas. Mm. And what, along, which is, you know, always great for us to see as academics, um, well, alongside that, what was impressive to me is how generous you were to other students. You lifted up other students. You know, there were assessments uh, that could have been done solo or you could do them as groups, and you would just invite and include lots of other students, as many as you could fit in. I remember one of the assessments had six or seven people in the group. <laughs> was, I thought, oh, my that gosh. Was really, that was really hard. <laughs> like the, the more people, the harder it is, isn't it, which is classic, it isn't is. it? It is, yeah. And there's so much pressure when it's an assessed piece and it affects your whole ability to get a degree. But you were so generous, <laughs> and I was, that, that impressed me way back. 
that it wasn't that you yeah I don't know if you knew that (laughs) that it wasn't (laughs) I I enjoyed those times and I enjoyed those interactions with other students it's one of the the things I miss about Mm. not being back at uh, back at uni yeah I really enjoyed that ability you may not people yeah, like it was clear. It was clear that you were just right in a zone of comfort and enjoyment and that your learning was all entwined around interacting with other people. So I just really noticed that when you're an undergrad student. Then the next time I really was aware of you in a whoa sense was when you were do- when you were graduating, your day of graduation, um, and um, you had to do the speech for the graduating students. Mm. And I nearly, and of course, the academics sit behind the person doing the talking who faces the big audience, as yeah. you know. Um, and, and I was just kind of sitting there, and of course, I was listening, I was interested in what you're going to say. And um, you were talking about, you know, the academics who most impressed you, and I was one of those, and I nearly went, oh my gosh, you know, oh my gosh, I had no idea that, that I had some influence like that. And then, and so I was just kind of really enjoying that moment. And then, of course, you launch into Bella Hooks's ideas about love <laughs> and kind of telling the general public, excuse me, folks, if you're not about love, what are you about kind of thing. Yeah. That's my paraphrasing. You might care to give us a bit more detail about that speech and what you're saying. Yeah. But I was so impressed and I nearly yelped with delight because <laughs> <laughs> in those moments, of course, there's the general public and your peers there, but right on the stage too is everyone from the vice chancellor or the chancellor down. Um, and for them to hear a graduating student talk about love was one of the most most wonderful moments for me. I thought, oh, yes, let's mm. put that word right here, right there right there it's not only about a personal private feeling you know it is a word that can help us make the difference in the world if we take it as an ethic yeah so i was so excited and delighted about that absolutely awesome um, no, that was, that was my intent, not that was my intent to the, the love ethic and the work around that you did around bell hooks work and and the love ethic was really I think the thing that brought the whole degree together for me and, and oh. cemented for me um, that I was in, oh, I'd learned a lot and I enjoyed my whole degree, but that concept really cemented for me that this is where I wanted to be in the world and this is who I wanted to be in the world. Whoa. Whoa. And, was, and looking back, um, it's been something, what I found with my whole uni experience was it was a lot of the concepts and a lot of the thoughts and a lot of the ideas was something I'd carried with me for a lot of my life that didn't have a didn't have a framing for them or didn't have a vehicle that explained them and that's what a lot of my uni experience provided and a lot of what your work on the love ethic provided was was actual words and um, a context for the things that, that I was doing in the world. So help you join up all the dots of what was important for you. Very much so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, just how incredible that is. If you would you tell people where you came from to come to do a social work degree, because oh, you know, like it, it really is a big segue from a different background. Oh, it is. Um, it, it, a very, very big change in my life. Um, I left school when I was fifteen, so I didn't complete high school. Um, I left home shortly after. Uh, I was only fifteen or sixteen when I left home. Um, but I was lucky enough to find myself in a position where without any real qualifications at all, I was leading and managing 
uh, very substantial companies um, through one, you know, through a bit of good luck and a bit of hard work. And um, so I spent a lot of time in the corporate world um, working in that space. Um, and it took me a little while to work out that that wasn't where I wanted to be, but it certainly became very obvious to me that that's where I was, wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, the ethos of that world didn't sit well with me. Um, and at one point I was uh, working in Melbourne. So I was working in Melbourne for a very large company, a multinational company, um, and managing their Melbourne operation. I was flying from the Sunshine Coast to Melbourne every week. So the physical demand of the job was was intense. Um, but the thing that sort of cemented for me that I didn't want to, to work there anymore and didn't want to be part of that world anymore was when the decision was made to close down the Melbourne business and move everything back into head office in Sydney and all of a sudden, you know, 25 people were going to be out of work and, mm-hmm. and the only consideration was the bottom line was the money. And, you know, I, I sort of knew that was the case but that cemented it for me that um, that isn't the way I wanted to live my life and that's not the kind of person I wanted to be. So I got an opportunity through that process to um take a package and move and leave so I did I was offered another position with the same company and I declined it um and I moved and I came back home um did nothing for a while to be honest I um spent about 6 months doing not much at all and got very very bored and started doing a lot of volunteering I've I've been a volunteer most of my adult life I got really really um involved in particularly two particular things one was the uh, refugee and asylum seeker space and the other one was the environmental space Um, so I did a lot of volunteering when I came back around that I ended up doing some volunteering for the Sunshine Coast Environment Council Um, that led to me filling in a couple of times as a coordinator for that business for that organization sorry not a business uh, but in the midst of that, I had a good long think about what I wanted to do and social work seemed to me to be the thing that most aligned with what I saw as my values and my way of being in the world and my thoughts about how I wanted to contribute. Uh, so so it's just to say, Peter, it's not an, social work is not a really well-known profession unless you've had a direct contact with. How did, how did you come to think of social work as, as the way to go? I did a lot of um, my own independent research. I'd always thought that social work, um, I always thought that social work was, I always knew of it as a profession. I didn't particularly know any social workers, but I always knew of it as a a profession that professed to be uh, caring and helpful and therefore people. Now, Mm -hmm. we might talk a bit more about that and whether that's the case always but but that certainly was my impression of it um but I did a lot of research um I knew I wanted to do something um I think secretly I felt like I'd missed out in my earlier life because I was really good um quite bright lots of ability but things just didn't work out for me in, in my early life to, to take that any further. So I knew I wanted to go and do something. And when I when I did the research, I actually first um, enrolled in a um, human services degree. Oh, okay. 
Um, and then I did that for about one semester and thought, this is just a cut down social work degree and I, I want the whole thing. So, so I quickly changed to social work. Um, yeah, that's how, and that's how I ended up doing what I'm doing. So, um, work, uh, the, the social work degree for me was just an extension of how I saw my place in the world and how I wanted to be. And I'm lucky enough, lucky enough to be able to use that in my life now. So, so like it's really an incredible journey to get this far. And can you tell people a bit more detail about the speech you gave on your graduation day? Because that brings us to the uh, the theorist Bella Hawks, doesn't it? Sure. So, there there are a few things I really wanted to acknowledge in that speech. I, I wanted to acknowledge, on behalf of all the students there, that that um, completing a degree and achieving that is is not a is not a individual achievements. So I really wanted to acknowledge the families and the people that mm. helped along the way, pardon me, that help us along the way. I wanted to acknowledge the particular people in the academy, yourself, um, Tina Lathuris, Phil Ablett, that were particularly um, helpful and inspiring to me in, in my time at uni. And then I really wanted to talk, um, I really wanted to talk about the concept of love in the world um, and how bell hooks expresses that love as not a, as not as an emotion, but at the way I see it and the way I hope I explained it was it's a way of being in the world. It's a way of regarding other people. It's a it's a um, it's a personal regard for other beings. And I extend it. Um, bell hooks talked talked predominantly about relationships between people, um, but I extend that concept into the, the wider world I believe that um, we, we need to be in a position of love and reci- reciprocity with the entire world around us whether that's the human world or the non-human world um, and that was what I tried to express in uh, in the speech that um, to work with love is to work out of a genuine place of wanting for the other person and desiring for the other person or for other people or other animals or other beings. Um, so that was the intent of what I wanted to express in that speech. I don't know how it came <laughs> over, but that uh, that was certainly the intent. Oh, look, yeah. I think it came over really well. And I, I've, I've, the very fact that you used the word love and showed that it was out of an academic research place that you've come to the word and not just off the top of your head just to throw in there was what was so impressive, like you had yeah. really that, considered it. Yeah. That's the challenge we face when we talk about love is it, it's become such a cliched term. Yeah. Um, and it's a throwaway line. Most times that it's used, it's either a throwaway line or it is so tightly constrained around this idea of an emotive response. Yeah. Um, whereas, um, for me, love is 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 not is not so much an emotive emotive response. In many ways, re- reacting with love is how you react when there isn't emotion, when you don't have those deep feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that we have for family and friends, but but when you extend that regard to everybody you meet, that is such an interesting point. I hadn't ever thought of it quite like that. That mm. what at the bottom line, who are you in the world? How will you act for any any being? Yeah, yeah. 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 
Yeah, I like that. That's really gets you to a really core cool part of what's important to you, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's not it's not like we'll always be there a hundred percent. It's it's a it's a guiding framework, and and we're all human. We're all fallible. We all have you know. I'm not saying that I treat everyone with the love and the love that they deserve, really. Um, mm. But it's certainly an intent. Um, yeah. To do yeah. so, do can I like? Um, there's so many things I want to ask you, but if, hopefully I don't bombard you. Do, do you. Do you think um, that kind of ethic and that it is it is a big thing to say you Peter Hogg are standing in a love ethic framework in how you live your life. Does, does that bring a level of Oh, I guess challenge to your day-to-day life just to be constantly self-aware and checking your behaviour. Is that what it can look like at it, times? It can. It can yeah. and it does. And sometimes when I'm most aware of the love ethic and the influence of love in my life is when I don't act in love. Mm. Um, uh, and I can think of specific instances. I can really specific instances in my work. I mean, I work very closely with a lot of different people and a lot of different situations, some of them which are often very difficult or fraught or tense. Mm. And I specifically remember times when I know I haven't acted in love. And if, Before you give us an – I'd really like you to give us an example. Can you just mm. say you don't have to name the exact place you work, but can you name what your work is so people can understand what you're talking about there? Okay, so I'm, I'm a social worker and I work in a community development role in a um, community centre or a neighbourhood centre. Yeah, yeah. And now the, the place where I work um, and the place where I spend a lot of my time working, we have what we call an open space, which is basically – a place where people can come. There are no barriers to entry. You don't need to make an appointment. You can come as you are, um, however you are, and we will work to to make you feel safe and secure and to work through whatever we need to work through. Yep. Or just for people to be, they may not be trying yeah. to ask for anything. Yeah. So, or other than that social yeah. belonging space yeah Very so much. so can you give us an example what you're saying is you know sometimes you become aware of the love ethic when it's most difficult to actually act on it yeah. can, you, can you give us an example of how that sure. would look? um this is probably going back 12 or so months we have we had uh we have a, we have a lot of difficult situations where i work and but it's always how you handle them that matters mm-hmm. um so the, i had to i had to have a conversation with a gentleman um, who had physically pushed one of our volunteers at the centre. So that's we, ha- we have a saying where I work that all people are welcome but not all behaviours. Mm-hmm. You do need to draw, you know, no matter, in order for everybody to be safe, you have to create some boundaries around behaviours and how people are when they're together. So I had to have a conversation with this gentleman, uh, which was to ask him to leave the space because because the people... Uh, the volunteers and other people there were not feeling safe. Uh, but I went, uh, I'd had a number of conversations with this particular gentleman over the previous few months. And usually I'm very calm and very um, understanding and talk through things with people. But I was under a lot of pressure that day. So I was quite abrupt mm. with, with 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 this gentleman and, and really 
Um, I didn't say anything that was untoward, but in my tone, in my mannerism, I wasn't how I would normally be and I was quite abrupt. And the end result was the gentleman left uh, and he has never came back. Um, so I know I didn't act in love. I know I acted in the necessity of what was happening at the time. I could have achieved that in another way. I could have achieved that in a gentler, kinder, uh, more compassionate way. Um, for one reason or another, I didn't. Um, and the end result was a, a person has lost a means of support that might have been very important to them. So so what we do in the world has ramifications. Yeah. How we do what we do in the world has ramifications. And it's, it's, and it's when I think back on those instances and look at why I acted in the way I acted um, and why love wasn't there in that in that moment, um, that's an opportunity for me to learn and to approach things differently. And like I said earlier, we're, we're all going to get it wrong sometimes. Yeah. Um, we're all going to have to live with getting it wrong sometimes. Um, but all we can do is hope to learn from that and hope to do it better next time. So what did you take away from that? I took away that the pressure of the situation, um, the fact that um, I'd had multiple conversations with this gentleman about other things that seemed to have not had any effect. Um, the fact that the particular gentleman, has he's a, he's a difficult person to talk to in that he, um, his, his mode of operation is to talk over people. So I think I went into that, I went into that conversation with him with the mindset, I'm not going to be talked over, I'm going to do the talking, um, which is not my normal no. way of going about what I do. Um, I'm very much into listening and trying to understand and uh, trying to recognise where someone else is coming from. And that's what I took away from that. I didn't do that. I had my mind set on what I wanted to say and that was all that mattered. Um, but if I had a step back and considered how would love approach this situation, it might have been a the gentleman still would have had to leave on the day, but he might not have felt that he couldn't come back. Mm. Mm. Yeah. How interesting. Like it's in these micro moments, isn't it? Mm. And it will often be when you're tired or pressured or got competing needs you're trying to respond to, which is obviously going on then, not necessarily tired um, in that instance. So it, in terms of the love ethic, and this is such a simple example at one level, but a profound example too, isn't it? Because as you say, he didn't come back. Um, and that's, that, that is really very concerning because you don't know um, how he is and, and you can't you can't regain that relationship unless he comes back so exactly. so my, so so if you had trusted the relationship that you already had with him and know that he's going to talk over you <laughs> take a deep breath because you know of the pressure and and kind of try to create the space where he makes the decision that he oversteps the line and he should take a break and think about things. That mm. would have been what you would have preferred to happen, I presume. Absolutely. Yeah, because that's what you would normally do. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so so the misery of that, other than what it already has been is for you still, um, is that sometimes when you most need to act and lead with love, 
is when it's the hardest thing in the world to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it is sometimes very difficult. Uh, um, uh, and sometimes you don't even realise you're not doing it until, <laughs> until it's too late. Mm. Uh, yes, and then, of course, trying to um, not lose heart, literally, of in terms of what you bring to the, situ- other, the whole situation is important, isn't it? How you regroup from that and keep going. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, mm. so do you want – so Bell Hooks says somewhere in her all her writing, you know, such an amazing, prolific writer, more than 40 books in her lifetime. Can you believe it? Yeah, I know. Mm. Yeah. Folks, I've been trying to get Peter to think just before we started to write a book. So <laughs> we're going to work on that one. Um, but she says that love of our, for others with others actually starts with self-love and self-care. Mm. So given the nature of your work, which is very um, unpredictable in some ways because people can come in and things can happen fast and you might already be busy doing in like this in any one day. You've got a lot of yeah. things you're juggling and trying to tend to. Um, what does self-care, self-love look like in those kind of dynamic spaces so that you can refresh and be present for people? Yeah, that's, um, that's always a struggle. Okay. Yeah, and, it's, um, and it's something I've particularly struggled with over the last 12 months, but it's something that I think I'm working on and, and working better on. For me, it is accepting that I can't do everything mm. Mm. and accepting that there will be some times that I do need to say no, um, accepting that um, and, and putting those boundaries around, I'm not very good at boundary setting, <laughs> but, but putting those boundaries around um, particularly that, that divide between your personal life and your work life um, so that when I step out of my work life and step into my home environment, I'm 100% present in my home environment because there was, there was something I thought of um, maybe about six or eight months ago when, when things were really, really busy at work, and I just suddenly thought to myself, your family deserve to get more than the bits of you that are left over. Um, so I'm very conscious of that now. I'm very conscious that to leave stuff in the tank so that when you come home, you can be there for the people that you sh- you, you really should be there for more than any others. Um, but that's reciprocal too, because you, you know they give as much as as they as they get. So it's that it's that, and finding the, finding the things that matter to you. Um, for me, it's always been about being able to get out and run in the in the bush, and make that headspace that clear space in my head where where nothing else is really going on apart from me and the dirt track and the trees. Mm. Um, mm. So they're they're the really important things, and and ex- but the big one I think is accepting that you you can't do everything and you need to say no sometimes, um, because if you don't say no sometimes, if you try to do everything, and this is me, it might not be that for everyone. Is that you? What I found was you end up doing a lot of things half well, yeah, rather and, than yeah, and that's not that's right. Um, see, when you, when you are such a highly ethical high place high demands on how you are with whomever you are, mm. that already is pretty full on, you know, in terms of the pressure you keep or keep ever present with yourself. Um, and 
Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of like I think in some jobs though, you, you're a bit tested in that job because there are no boundaries in the job. You might just be a body that needs to carry that box somewhere. It might not even be about how you treat somebody. And, you know, like it just, that, that is a job that does not lend itself to creating good boundaries. Yeah. No, it doesn't. So, so that's and, part um, of the complexity. It's even, it, well, the way I work doesn't – the way I work, I work very relationally. Yeah. So I do – make a point of getting to know people and, and saying good day and being that being that person that someone can stick their head in the door and hey what's going on and having that chat um so that doesn't help <laughs> there's another great saying that a colleague of mine says often um and i i love her to bits but she says the the interruptions are the work yes and i think there's something in that because Sometimes it sometimes it, you need to stop and think about why you're actually there, and and for me, why I'm there more than anything else is for the community of people that come through that door on a day to day basis. So therefore, to try and plan anything else is a bit of a folly. You might as well just leave your diary nice and empty, hey? No, I I do make <laughs> plans. I do make plans. You do? How do they I, go? I hold them very lightly. Yeah. And I and I and. On those days where things fall into place and things are quiet or other people are taking care of what's going on out there and I get the chance to work on those plans, that's a good day. A good day. (laughs) A good day. Well, look, you know, um, there's so much in already in what you're saying and at the same time I wonder if we could just shift gears slightly and say a little bit more about how you understand Bell Hooks's idea of love because it's kind of partly what you've been saying but and also, as you know, she says quite a bit about um, needing to obviously be gentle, loving and kind with the people we have direct contact with and at some point or at the same time to do something about the injustices and the cause, the inequality, yeah? Absolutely. Do you want to say something about how she influences you there? The key for me in that is to never see, I mean, there are so many injustices and it's so, so easy to pinpoint an injustice to a particular person or a particular political way of thought or a particular political party or however you want to frame it. The key for me is never to see the person as the problem. Mm. So um, regardless of the injustice, um, it will... The person, there may be a person who is in a in a situation where they're oppressing someone, or the the system that they represent is oppressing someone. I try never to see the person as the problem. I try to see, okay, this is the this is the way we've structured our society, or this is the way we have put things together as a way that human beings live together. That is the root cause of that problem, and work hard on that rather than work hard on. Um, working against any particular person. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, so that's a really good starting point, isn't it? Because yeah. you, you probably see it as well. A lot of energy can go go between people who get really obviously appropriately outraged about injustice, but then personifying it to somebody. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, and and just really going on and on about that person, and when Trump's a good example in America, back here the leader of the opposition and the stance that he's leading around the vote, the vote for the voice, you yeah. think that you know you just hear so much negativity around the people themselves, yeah. yeah. And it's and it's very, I mean, it's almost natural to do that. Mm. Find, um, 
but uh, and I, what, what the one I really struggled with more than any was um, the asylum seeker issue when we had people on Manus and Nauru and and some of the um, some of the uh, dialogue around that from certain people. I found it really hard to get past that and see past yeah. see past yeah. the personality and actually look at okay, what's what's actually going on here? There's a systemic problem. This is a reaction to something that's in our society. Look, um, I, look, I get what you're saying. And, you know, John Howard, of course, and the Tampa crisis, you know, where yeah. was part of the escalating of, you know, this yeah. decision that Australia would be safer to not let people place foot on Australian yeah. soil, like really great travesty of human rights. We know that, yeah. Um, and so, like, I guess I wanted to push back just a little, not much, on what you're saying because people, anybody in any powerful position has such a significant influence on the whole population, especially when you're a prime minister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we see it at the moment, and without going into details around the vote, that, that Anthony Albanese has taken a stance and is trying to usher the country to consider the situation um, and has placed his whole career on the line, is an example of someone going above and beyond what other prime ministers have been willing to do before. You know, just as that individual human being. And, of course, he's getting criticised all over the place as well. And he's not necessarily doing a perfect job. But so, like, can you speak kind of almost against yourself and say, yeah, it's not about, it's not the person, it's the system, and yet the person can make a difference too? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, didn't, I didn't mean to say that people don't make a difference. They absolutely do. Yeah. And, yeah. and each one of us has a part to play in, in yeah. how we are in the world and the difference that makes. Some people have a much mm. stronger and wider sphere of influence than others. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not saying that people don't matter. And, I, and um, on both sides of the coin, people that do great things and people that mm. take positions that are that are different than, than we would take. Uh, but those people within themselves, I, I never believe that they're the root cause of what's going on. I got you. I got you. I, I, yeah. they're, they're a manifestation and a vo- vocal point, and maybe a leader in that space. Mm. They're, they're, mm. they're not op- they're not operating in isolation. Um, mm. They're operating as part of a system of oppression, mm. and a system of oppression that needs to be challenged. We can challenge individuals, but um, we need to challenge them, knowing that that, um, for instance, if Peter Dutton wasn't leader of the opposition and someone else was. Would we have a much different outcome? Maybe yeah. not. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, don't yeah know. like who knows? Who, yeah. It's a, it, yeah, it is an interesting thought, isn't it? Mm. Um, so, so part of Bell Hooks's ideas, as you know, is um, she was very influenced by uh, Gandhi's ideas, Martin Luther King, Thich Nhat Hanh, who are all really big um, uh, advocates of non-violence, mm-hmm. and part of the love approach. And you, you do absolutely work this way. Is acting as non-violently as you can, and what Gandhi said, you know, in his work for independence with his his people in India is that you need to appeal to the moral good in someone like the the people in the government of the day that he was trying yeah to to because everyone has a moral good in there you just got to find it you've got to find a way of having a dialogue that mm-hmm. that resonates with them to get mm-hmm. them to consider to act differently and to really want to find and engage someone around their moral good you have to really love them otherwise you just see them as an enemy and Absolutely. You know, not be willing to do that attempt to try and find their good. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm. And that that is, I suppose, one for me. That's one of the great strengths of working out of love, is being prepared to. When you love someone, you will or, or approach them in a in a manner of love. You will be prepared to listen, and to try to understand. Yeah. Again, it's not always easy. No. Um, I can I can think of another example of that very recently. My my colleague and I at work actually ran some workshops on the voice. Oh, okay. Um, and we had in our very first workshop, we had a little group of people um, who were very strongly had a very strong opinion uh, that the voice was not a good thing, and they came from a real conspiracy background. Oh, okay. And it was difficult in that environment to um, to try to. It was really difficult. Well, I found it difficult um, to try to listen and understand their point of view because mm. it was so diametrically opposite to mine. It was so yeah. different to my way of looking at the world. But um, I don't know whether I succeeded or failed. But. <laughs> but it's incumbent on us, I think, to at least attempt to hear someone's point of view because uh, that is their truth. Yeah. Um, yeah. And their truth is as real and as valid and as meaningful to them as my truth is to me. Yeah. So the very fact that those people were willing to take the invitation up and come and trust that the space was going to allow them to have that point of view mm-hmm. is a really incredible thing in its own right because as you know it's become so polarized and people are really getting very upset about it understandably so I think that's a really nice example of the work that someone who practices from a love ethic needs to do to keep being willing to not only meet people in the middle but go over to their side and see how they see it yeah hold your own integrity in that as much as you can because you're yeah. not necessarily and agreeing but you are willing to listen yeah absolutely um, yeah yeah and and you know if i want someone to listen to my point of view then respect <laughs> just just basic respect tells me that i need to listen to their point of view and and i spend i spend a lot more time in my work listening than i do talking um mm. and mm. i think that's that's um well, i think that's that's crucial to the kind of work I do. Yeah, absolutely. So, so when there's a when there's an extreme direct conflict going on, and as you know, I did some work in a, a community that was being really impacted by a mining company. The to hear both sides, you know, the community's point of view and then the mining company's point of view, that um, was really quite gobsmacking because they both they all have good people on each side of the story and they're all differently offended and hurt and worried. But, of course, there's a different order of responsibility, I would say, for multinational mining companies, say, than to individuals in a community and and the government in relation to those two groups of people in conflict, yeah. Um, And and I guess that's where I, I find it really difficult to stay patient with a process of justice work when it's often the people who are and beings who are most harmed or the threat to another gorge being blown up that puts extreme pressure on the environmental activists you know like they hold a lot of the pain and the witnessing of our harm and then have to find a way to be willing to listen to the very people who they see as causing the harm or failing to act to stop it happening like it's an 
almost unbearable moral pressure on anyone trying to initiate a dialogue with powerful people, don't you think? Yeah, um, yeah, it is. And, you know, again, the whole First Nations experience that we've just been talking about is mm. an absolutely essential understanding of that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and the patience and the ability of First Nations people to continue to turn up at the table is is astounding to me. Um, but, yeah, it is really difficult and it's something I still, I think I still struggle with. Mm, me too. Um, um, you know, um, I was very involved in the Stop Adani movement uh, for quite a long period of time and to see that mine start and to see them start picking coal out of that place despite the wishes of the traditional owners, despite the fact that we know that it's the damage that it's doing uh, to the global environment, despite the fact that it will mean the extinction of a, of a species of bird that lives up there, to live with those things and then to continue to try to engage mm-hmm. um, is really difficult. Um, yeah. it's, it's a real, yeah. it's a really hard thing to hold. Um, uh, the people that do that and continue to do that for years and years and years, oh. um, they astound me in their in their perseverance. Absolutely, and of course, part of part of the extreme injustice of all of what you were just describing around the Adani situation is the state government making the decision to extinguish native title. Yeah, yeah. yeah? and you think, oh my gosh! And we, I don't know if many Queenslanders know that that happened, and how do we, as a people, feel about that? And like, so do you, so we can get very. Sense of defeat and um, just think nothing is possible. Given that there are, do you think um, one of the? I, let me say what I think. See if you agree. I think one of the gifts of Bella Hooks's work is that as long as we keep caring and find some way to make a contribution in the world, because everything's connected to everything and everything matters. <laughs> that. Every action matters. Every person's action matters. So while we may not be up there standing with the people, you know, who are, who have the security guards trying to stop them to go on going onto their own yeah, ceremonial lands, there's maybe other ways we can get messages of support to them or support someone else who's doing it. Because we're over here beavering away, you know, you and your community centre, me with what I'm doing. And you think, do you, do you think that's a fair way or do you think I'm just kind of slipping off, putting myself in a more challenging situation? No, I think what you're saying is 100% correct. I think um, it's fundamental to my beliefs that everything is connected in the world and everything we do has resonance, mm-hmm. everything we do matters and we all have a different part to play or we all have a different way of expressing our, our way in the world. Mm. Uh, some of us, it's standing in front of trucks. I've done that too. Um, <laughs> um, but but it's it's um, the work. I, I, I went to a um, I went to a forum when I was in the Stop Adani movement up in Noosa. It was when the uh, Sea Shepherd vehicle was here. The, oh, the yeah. sea boat, and I was part of that setting that up. And I remember talking to. I remember on the panel there was a, a Queensland scientist whose job was to inform government around the environmental hazards to the Great Barrier Reef. And he said something like, 
to the Stopadani movement and the people there. He said, keep doing what you're doing because the noise you're making is making it easier for me to have the conversation mm. I need to have with the people that make decisions. So the activists had a role to play mm-hmm. and him in his Absolutely. professional life had a different role to play and both mm. both go together and both help each other. Yeah, it's a really lovely way to look at it. Otherwise, we're just it's hard to keep going, isn't it? You can lose hope. I'm, I'm you... very lucky where I work, Deanne, because I see it almost every day. I see people um, and random acts of kindness and goodness and love almost every day. And when you're having a, you know, not, you know, we, we deal with some pretty intense situations in that place at times, but when you see people, um, when you see a homeless person walk in and someone else will just and say something, oh, I need X, Y, Z, and someone will say, oh, I know exactly where you get that and here it is and I'll help you go find it and just little things like that, that um, it's it's the things like that that reinforce for me that people are good, human beings are good. Yes, absolutely, Um, absolutely. Sorry, you hadn't quite finished that's that to me is that's love in action. There's no obligation on anyone to go out of their way to help anyone. They just do it out of the, their nature. Mm. One of the, one of the um, points I'm making in the book I'm writing at the moment on brokenheartedness, but just briefly, that brokenheartedness is multifaceted. But anything that really deeply hurts people, including what they witness of other people being harmed, especially where there's been violence done, mm. um, one one of the things that I find truly remarkable, it's exactly what you're talking about, is when people have broken hearts, and most of us have it because. It's, there's a lot happening that can cause hearts to break, um, personal and in the public sphere, uh, is it is totally inspirational to me. When someone has been so heartbroken, maybe not ever known what love is, maybe never known it in any enduring way, to then be loving in the world by those what you call little acts of kindness to other people I think that that is truly, truly amazing because they have to contain their own needs, their own hurts and people betraying them or whatever has happened. And in that moment, be kind and generous to someone else. And as you say, some not not looking for anything back necessarily. I think that is the love revolution. Everyday people refusing to act with violence and meanness and, yeah, and and being generous to somebody else, I just find that amazing. Yeah, it's inspiring. It, it's just beautiful <laughs> to watch. <Yeah. laughs> Do you know how we, when we started talking, you were saying how you know the nature of your job is that you're kind of like you're really on call, and um, plans have to be held lightly because you've got to be willing, and, and you are willing, being available as may be needed in such a busy and unplanned, unstructured space where you work yeah. a lot of the time. Um, do you? I was going to say around that. That do you find you can? Other, of course, you have an incredibly important responsibility in the nature of what your job is, and that's proper. Do you find that sometimes you can just rest in the collective good of the place and just 
Absolutely. Sit for even two minutes at your desk and take a breath because you know everybody else has got it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. I sometimes I just go and sit. Um, there's an outdoor area, and and sometimes I just go and sit at the big tables out there and just watch what's happening inside. <laughs> <laughs> and without, I, I don't have to say a word. I don't have to be involved. Uh, because it's nothing to do with me. It's about humans being good to each other. It's about yeah. people caring about each other. And I just sit there and watch it. <laughs> I'm getting is that no, is, Oh, no, yeah, that is totally beautiful, totally beautiful. I love it. I love it. it. Does that nourish you and help you keep going? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Probably more than anything else. Oh, wow. Um, because you realize, it helps me remember and realise for all the horrible stories I hear, for all the bad things that people come and talk about, it makes me understand that essentially we're good and we want to be good and we want to love each other. I honestly believe that. Mm -hmm. I truthfully believe that we want to love each other. Um, it's just finding ways to make that happen. Absolutely. So one of the like that is that is um, rather inspirational in itself how you just spoke that and um one one oh chips hang on my little earpieces are a bit uncomfortable so in in relation to that oh now how was i gonna so you're just talking about you know the witnessing of others being loving oh, i was gonna say gosh it's it's to me um it so it doesn't matter whether people even think of what they're doing it's not what i was going to say but it fits also that people don't necessarily have to have a highfalutin theory of love no. there's something in within them you said within people's natures to want to be good to want to be kind mm -hmm. and and therefore when people aren't being good and kind they're acting out of hurt and reaction and yeah. lack of love and all those things out of trauma um acting out of fear yeah um, yep. acting out of fear from past experiences and, yep. and past hurts and past experiences with people where they haven't been loved and they haven't been cared for mm. and they've been hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. yep. And, of course, neuroscience, I don't know much about it, but it kind of says that the experience of love is part of what helps our body to grow and flourish, especially from a tinny baby, and that if people haven't known it, they haven't necessarily got the pathways in their physiology of their bodies to oh, this is what I find gobsmacking about broken-hearted people. They haven't necessarily wired up for letting the love come and go come mm -hmm. to them and then passing it back out. Mm -hmm. But somehow, out of the pain, which must travel on the same pathway, because uh, somehow they they have found a way to pass love back out into the world, even if they haven't experienced it themselves. Like there's something really well. It obviously has to come to a spiritual matter or an ethics that people beliefs that people have that guide them in their darkest hours and like that is just inspirational to me don't you think oh absolutely and and i don't know much about neuroscience either but um i i do remember reading a book by norman dodge years and years ago uh called i'll think about it in a minute the brain that changes itself <laughs> and <laughs> And that was I, I I love that book because what that book says to me is no matter what has happened in the past, no matter what, you can create new neural pathways, you can create new ways of being. Um, it's not easy, and you know for some people it may be all nigh impossible, but it can happen. You mm -hmm. don't have to be the sum of what's happened before. Yeah, 
So, so these beliefs that are all within and around what we're saying, and sometimes we say it really directly like that, are really what give us our energy in the world, aren't they? Yeah. And one of one of the things that really makes me very concerned is when I see people hurting people and the environment and other animals in all the different ways that can happen, is that I think it can corrode everybody's belief in the power of love and gentle gentle kindness as a way to resolve everything. I guess I worry about that. Do you worry about people losing faith in love? Um, I won't say I worry about it. Um, that's a bit... I find so people, so few people actively talk about love, Deanne. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's often not even on the radar. Um, mm. I, I don't worry about that particularly. I, I do worry that, or not worry, but I do see that the normal, a lot of the normal intercourse we see every day all around the world and in, up close and personal does not come from a place of love, mm-hmm. um, and that, and it's normalised. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking particularly about the, the the cruelties we inflict upon the natural world and the animal mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Um, they are normalised, um, and I worry about that, and I worry about the impact that that has on people too, mm-hmm. um, because you know there's, there's a there's a lot of research around there you know the, to be to be to suffer trauma is a terrible thing but to inflict trauma also has impacts on people yeah yeah um, so i think as a society we need i don't know what the answer is i don't know what i'm saying um but i think um fundamentally there's changes needed in our society if if what we call the love ethic is to become a lot more mainstream and a, and a lot more of a guiding force in the way we live in the world. Absolutely. Like now, it's so topical for us and so serious for our nation at this time around the referendum, isn't it? If we can allow ourselves for a moment to imagine that it's going to get the yes vote, mm. do you think that could symbolically and actually at some deep level show a willingness to truly believe and have faith in the first people here and in, in particular, their wisdom around nature and law being in the land, and you know, like, it, can can we just see that they they know some answers and have some wisdom that we all need to embrace if we would just accept them as our leaders at this time? Almost, I think they're our leaders. Like, it's the most oppressed group socially in Australia, yet they have so much to give that would change this world. Yeah, I really hope so. Um, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm very, um, I'm very worried. Mm-hmm. I don't believe the yes campaign will win. I think there is just such a, it's so easy to play to people's fears, and um, so I'm really worried about that. Uh, but it would be, it would be a wonderful thing, and it would be a wonderful thing. I mean, uh, not just First Nations people in Australia, but. Um, there's First Nations wisdom in countries all around the world, um, and that what I love about a lot of what I've read and what I've and, and not just read, but I, I work with First Nations people as well, um, is that innate understanding that we are connected to the natural world. We're not separate from it, and that reciprocal relationship with the natural world. Um, now, 
First Nations cultures do a lot of things that I'm, I'm vegan, I don't eat animal products, First Nations cultures traditionally do, but it's that respect for the natural world and that respect for that source of nourishment that mm. I think is something that we have moved so far away from in our, yeah. our society and in our world. Yeah. Um, I think if we could come to an understanding and if we could if we could humble ourselves to mm. accept their leadership on just that one thing, it would make such mm. a difference in this world. It would be a seismic shift in our ethics mm. as a country, wouldn't it? I just am mm. so hopeful. I'm going to hold the hope. Are you going to hold the hope I for am, this? I, yes, I, hope. I'm holding the hope. Yeah. Like my mother's voting yes and she's just an everyday person. She says it seems only fair and I think, yeah, good on you, mum. <laughs> so like now I've kind of in lots of ways shaped how this conversation's gone. So is there anything that you wanted to be sure you said when well, we're chatting today? There's one thing that we've talked about in the past um, that I think I've rethought a little bit and that's this whole concept of love and oppression. Mm. And Bell Hook says that where there is love, there cannot be oppression. Mm. Where mm. there is love, there cannot be violence. And you and I have talked about this before, and you've challenged that a little bit. And I've always said, no, I believe that that's if if, if it's if it's love, there's no oppression. So I've I've actually rethought that a little bit in the last few months. Um, okay, okay. Uh, and it's because I think. Um, love and the love ethic and the way the way of being loving in the world, it's never ever in reality as simple as that. No. Um, and I and I was just thinking about it when I was thinking about this podcast and and um, I think in your previous podcast with uh, with uh, Lisa, Lisa she, King, she, Lisa King, thank you. She used the words pure love. So what I'm what I'm thinking. And and I'm still I'm still forming this up in my head, but I'm thinking Bell Hooks is right in the purest sense of mm. love, in pure love. But the love that we experience and love we put out in the world is almost always an alloy. Mm. It's always, always mixed with our own fears, our own ways of being, our own prejudices, even our own caring. Mm. Um, because caring doesn't necessarily equate to love either. No, no. So I'm really thinking about that in relation to the love ethic at the moment in the fact that I think love can coexist with those other things, with perhaps oppression, with perhaps um, some level of violence even. Um, in its ideal form, that would, would not be there, but yeah. none of us live in an ideal world. So I just wanted to throw that in the mix. Yeah, that's kind of I'm still working my way through that because it was a pretty it was a pretty, yeah. pretty uh, firmly held belief of mine. But um, Yes, that's right. And we haven't had a big conversation around it, so this is now our biggest conversation <laughs> around it. Thank you. And, yeah, like that is fascinating. It's one of my favourite phrases of hers. And I've come to write in the current book I'm doing it to say, Hey, it's not that simple, folks. No, <laughs> I know really <laughs> I know people who are loving and who also can be, you know, actually physically and mentally violent. Mm. It does not excuse or make the violence yeah. okay. Not at all. And it does affect the quality of the love that is then experienced. But most people, I think, most people will have some level of coercion or difficulty holding respect most of the time to the very people they love. 
and connect in ways that are actually quite harmful. Nobody is, but still do it. My father, you know, had a domestic violence. He would know, he knew that how he acted was very harmful to his family. Um, And there was a context that made that make sense, but doesn't excuse it. Didn't mean he loved them any less, but gee, he wasn't showing it when he needed to. You know, so, so yeah, it was all entwined, all mixed in together. Yeah. Yeah. So nothing's. Mm -hmm. Nothing's completely simple in this world. No, no, because we are complicated human beings. It does, yes, interestingly, though, in that example I was just saying, um, I came to argue in the first chapter that I grew up not feeling loved by the way I mean love as we're talking about it. My parents really cared for us. They did everything. They struggled against the odds to keep us together and feed us and care for us. But I did not feel love. So yeah. that's a so that's how I would now kind of make sense of it, and I that's why I need to get to my mother before she reads the book to say, <laughs> I, I know you love me. It's not the point I was trying to make. You know, yeah. the, the point yeah, I was yeah. trying to make. It wasn't the kind of love I needed to feel safe and secure in the world. You know, because the violence kept undercutting it. Um, yeah. So yeah, look, I really yeah, I've been doing some mulling around that as well, mm. and it's it's why I'm really fascinated to keep going in a conversations as you can around how you keep thinking about. Bell Hooks's idea of love, because I think it's she puts a lot of one-liners out there. Then we have to kind of see how it works in our lives and with the people we engage with. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Even in even in my work as a social worker, I mean, sometimes, I mean, you all, I always have the intent on working with love. Sometimes, is it just duty? You know, this is this is what needs to be done without. Mm being done with that real intent of love. so But it doesn't mean that that's wrong. No. And, and it can still provide some very good outcomes for the people that you work with. That, yeah. That it, is a, it is difficult and, and it does need us to remain sensitive to the unintended impacts of our behaviours, hey? especially where we're acting against someone's wishes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, like I think, oh, that's, that's big. Big kahuna stuff, especially if there's legislation like in mental health, you know, where we've got someone under a mental health act, they're not wanting to be under it. They're legally coerced, and then in practice, I coerce them to take their medication or something. I think I I do not feel comfortable anymore about any of those actions I took. I Mm. actually wish I could have all done it all differently. But back Mm. then, in those days and contexts, does that excuse it? No, because it actually is repeating and other practitioners are doing the same thing. You know, so how do I contribute around that now? Yeah, how do I make something? Uh, without blaming the practitioners, how can they be supported to feel loved and supported in their workplace so they can be more loving and less coercive with the people they work with? Absolutely. That's kind of the thinking I'm doing at the moment. Because mm, sometimes the more complicated the system, the more complicated it is in how to be loving. Yeah, but, but I think the challenge for you is one that you rise to every day of just being your good-hearted self and being as responsive as you can to the people with you. At the same time, being willing to look at all the complexities of society and what is going on there, and not to shy away from that. Absolutely, yeah? not yeah. to shy away from that. That's so I just, I just so want to acknowledge you. I think you're one shining, a shining light in this local place where we both live, and oh, thank I'm you. really. Really pleased to know you and I look forward to how we work together in the future. And would, are there any comments that you'd like to make as we close up the conversation just for now? 
No, um, look, it's been lovely. I've really enjoyed having this chat. Um, it's always good to see you. Um, and, uh, yeah, look, I just love that uh, I got the privilege to um, to learn about the love ethic. I know you, you're you foregrounding it a lot more in your work now. Yeah. Um, and I hear that from some of the students that come through the centre. So <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, and thank you. And thank you for being there for them. And a student, just quickly, to, sorry to cut across you, a student wrote to me the other day and said, uh, a, a practitioner here told me to tell you uh, that, you know, I've, I didn't really get all your talk about the love ethic and now I do and, uh, you know, it was exactly so cool. About, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I knew who they were talking about as well. I thought, yeah. that is so cool. That is really exciting. So, yeah. yeah. So please keep going with your work and I wish you well with any choices you make about how you choose to do your work going forward. Yeah. Thanks, Can't wait to see your first book, Peter. <laughs> You'll be waiting. Yeah, I can wait. I'm a very patient person. <laughs> it's right. been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. 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 I think it's it